This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Tonight's episode is episode number 54, same as it ever was. And uh, it's been a bit since I recorded a podcast, but I wanted to get back in it and really start to put out some content and make sure that I'm uh, fierce and determined and loyal listeners out there aren't aren't missing me too bad, I hope. (laughs) As always, you can contact me at um, Gregory B at extravagantpromisespodcast.com or on Instagram at extravagantpromisespodcast. You can DM me or leave a comment in the uh, posts and I'll try to respond. A few housekeeping things before I get into the substance of tonight's episode. Number one, um, This is not an AA meeting. It is not meant to be an AA meeting. It's not approved literature. Um, It is merely my act of service attempting to be, as I always say, and I'm sure people are probably tired of hearing it, but that candle in the darkness that maybe you can just get a little bit of solace, a little bit of comfort, a little bit of program. Perhaps you're on the road. You want to listen to a quick hit of some serenity, and, and some experience, strength, and hope. Or maybe uh, you just would like to think about different aspects of our program and recovery and, and, and get something from it that way. Uh, number two, I'm not a medical or healthcare professional of any kind. I'm not a mental health professional. I do encourage everyone to have a mental health program. And, but at the same time, nothing I say should be taken as gospel when it comes to medicine, science, neuroscience, or psychology. Number three, this is a commercial-free, advertising-free venture. I do this completely at my own expense and as an act of charity and, and service. I will not ever ask for any funds or patronage of any kind. Um, I'd like to grow the community. I'd like to, to see it spread out there. Sometimes I wonder if the fact that I don't take sponsors or things like that makes it uh, less successful in some ways. But then I remember back to, you know, just get back to the program. You know, they, they don't like you to give more than a dollar at a, at, at a meeting because you don't want matters of property, prestige, or power to come between us. And so, you know, for me, this is going to be free. It's going to always be free. Free to all, and anyone can listen. And, and hopefully it's, it's viewed in a total peaceful, serene and charitable manner. Number four, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, and I ask that you do everything you can to preserve mine. I will promise and pledge it. I will never out anyone who communicates with me, has anything to say, or any questions. Um, Your anonymity is precious to me. That is the bedrock of our program. Please, I beg you, don't out me, don't dox me, don't, 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 punish me uh, for trying to have this act of service to the community. Um, 
my anonymity is very important to me. And I know there are times when I, I'm not careful about it, and I should be more careful, and, and I apologize and make my amends to anyone who's upset by that. Um, and uh, I certainly do everything I can to, to preserve my anonymity in this format. So with that said, on with the show. Tonight, as I said, is the same as it ever was. And I thought that, you know, I, I've, I've loved the varying formats of, of this podcast and how I've, how it's evolved at times. I, I, I mean, I was really rigid and structured in the beginning about poetry and readings and things like that. And I like to continue and get back to that at times. Sometimes I've had a guest on, sometimes I've done a Q&A. Um, and sometimes I try to have lessons about, about, from the big book, from touchstones, from 12 and 12, from 24 hours a day, you name it, living sober. Um, boy, that's a good one. Um, but tonight I just thought I'd get back to basics, and that's what I meant by same as it ever was. For those of you who are interested, you know, my name is Gregory. I'm an alcoholic. I have a sponsor. My sponsor has a sponsor. My sponsor, excuse me, my, my sobriety date is July 19, 2015. I have 2,083 days of continuous, uninterrupted sobriety. Very proud of that. Um, that's not a reward or an award. It's just, that's my, that's my date. That's my, my, my sobriety date. And a lot of days is my birthday. It is my, my salvation when I was born into this program, I would say. Um, I have worked the 12 steps several times with my sponsor. I sponsor other guys. I, I try to work with other alcoholics, check in on them uh, via phone and text, usually, especially in the love and the time of pandemic. Um, but when... We are able to be together and gather. I try to meet with other alcoholics and learn and, 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 and pass on my experience, strength, and hope. And those are kind of the basics of, of, of me. When I came into the program, I was about, I'd say, as broken as, as I ever thought I would be in my life. I, I wrote a letter to God on Father's Day 2015. And in that letter, I professed my, I don't know what the word is. I professed, I, I, I passed judgment on myself as being utterly broken and utterly despicable and utterly unworthy of God's love or forgiveness or mercy or grace. I asked God to help me. I didn't know how. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just knew that every night I sweat gallons, it felt like. My heart raced. I was in fear of all kind of financial, professional, and domestic ruin. I, I was filled with remorse and regret. And I honestly wished that I would not wake up every day. And I wrote this letter to God, and I said... In the letter, in writing, I will honor you. I will serve you. Please help me. Please save me. I didn't ask for anything specific. I just, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. 
Um, and as I often say, you know, uh, I had a little more research to do for a couple more weeks, not long, maybe not even a month. Um, but I asked God to send me an angel. God didn't send me an angel. God sent me a program of angels. And that program is Alcoholics Anonymous, and it saved my life because it gave me a life second to none. It gave me a life worth living, a life worth celebrating. And it gave me the peace and serenity to want to be alive. And my life has been remarkable ever since. I, I, I hit some real hard times during sobriety. No, no, no question about it, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, you don't, you don't get sober and suddenly all your problems disappear and you're cured and immune from problems. That's, that's at least not how it worked for me. But what it did give me was this, this, it was almost like I had the world's biggest silverback gorilla sitting with me who was like, go ahead and fight because you know what? I got you. I got your back. I'm all freaking, you know, and it was like, I just had this confidence that I could, I could make it through anything if I just stayed sober. And you know what? That was true. You know, God, God was that silverback gorilla. God, God was flying my wing and, and my higher power, uh, was there that, that, yes, I do believe in God. Yes, I believe in a higher power. And yes, I came to believe these things, um, through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not saying you have to, not saying my way's right, not at all. Just saying how it, how it is, how, you know, how it was for me. And I think that's important just every once in a while, every couple months, every year or whatever to kind of share with my listeners a little bit about, you know, how, how I did it. You know, if it, it isn't my sobriety birthday. I mean, I've got five, I don't know, five and a half, I guess, how many ever, two, 2,083 days is, is close to five and a half, maybe almost closer to six years of sobriety. Um, you know, the woman that raised me, who I loved dearly, I considered to be my, my mother. You know, she died while I was sober. I watched my eldest daughter attend, go to and graduate from high school and enter college while I was sober. My youngest daughter finished middle school and went to and attended high school and is graduating in uh, two months, going to college. Um, all of these things happened while I was, while I was sober. I turned 50 sober. Um, you know, I had a lot of ups and a lot of other downs. And, and, I, and somehow I, I managed to stay sober and I managed to thrive through it all. Um, and, and even get stronger, I believe. Nassim Taleb, the great, I don't know what he calls himself, philosopher, econometrician, something like that. Um, he says, you know, r robust and resilient, you know, it's, it's, it's not just that you, you can withstand and grit through the tough times. It's that actually you're anti-fragile by being, by thriving in those and, and, and actually doing well in the times of chaos and, and catastrophe. And, and I think sobriety does that. I think that the program of Alcoholics Anonymous becomes our superpower. You know, so how did I do it? How did it happen for me? Um, well, like I said, I was, I was at that point, just that horrible point where I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't think I was worthy of life. 
Uh, I had on objectively, I looked good. You know, I was lean. I was I dressed well. I was successful. You know, on the outside, I was professionally admired and all these things. But inside, I was just dead and dying, and 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 it just could not, couldn't, I couldn't figure that figure it out. What what was wrong with me? And a friend of mine uh, who's been on the podcast, you know, a guy from United Kingdom, uh, was staying with me. And my brother and his daughter had been in town for um, a rock concert or something. And they had stayed, you know, we had breakfast with them before they headed back to where they're from. And my friend said, you know, um, he said, your brother's worried about you. And I said, really? Did he say something? He said, no. I said, how'd you know? He goes, I could just tell. I just knew. I said, well, what's he worried about? And he said, I don't know, but I'm worried about your drinking. And, you know, think about that. Like a dude with a British accent says it. It sounds cooler. It sounds smarter, you know. And, and, and I said, will you go to a meeting with me? And I know that people had probably said, like, wow, you drink a lot. Or, you know, man, you, you, you know. Put away, but but I swear, I swear that I'm not going to swear that no one ever counseled me about my drinking because that's not true. That did happen, but no one ever. I had it, at least as far as I knew, no one had ever said I think you have a drinking problem. Or better still, is I think alcohol might be the problem here. No one had ever said that. I had never thought that. I, and maybe I did. I don't know. You know, we can get we can get into that. But do we do we really need to? I mean, the, the the simple point is, I was an alcoholic. I can give you my drunk logs. I can tell you all the stupid shit I did drunk, all the things I said and did to people when I was drunk, did to myself. You know, and couldn't. You know, just and the copious amounts that I put away. And and they'd be like, wow, you know, why didn't you figure that out earlier? It was more that I I didn't know. I, I didn't connect that my problems might be coming from alcohol or that Alcoholics Anonymous might help me solve my problems because I had gone periods of time without drinking. I had, quote, controlled it. I never was blackout drunk, you know, at least, I mean, rarely, you know, it, I, I hadn't gotten a DUI. I hadn't cr killed anybody or lost my job over drinking, you know, any of those things. And so I had all these problems and this desire to die, and I clearly was an alcoholic in terms of a lot of my behaviors and my drinking, uh, binge drinking and things like that, but I couldn't connect them. And maybe that's just my disease that did that, you know, hid in plain sight, and maybe I'm just a dumbass, but, but that's how it was for me, was I did not connect that maybe I'm an alcoholic and maybe Alcoholics Anonymous is the solution to these problems that don't seem to be causally connected to alcohol. You know, massive professional stress, massive domestic strife, being threatened physically and emotionally and financially by my ex. Um, I'm going to run you out of town. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to come shoot up your place of business. Um, things like that. Um, you know, this daily, you know, I, I never connected that maybe a lot like alcohol was the fuel underneath all this, you know, for me, for them, you know, whatever. 
I just was like, you know, if you came to me, if my friend in his English accent had said, hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm worried about your lima bean consumption, I would have been like, cool, let's go to Lima Beans Anonymous or something like, if, please, God, let that be the problem. Please, God, let that be the problem. That's what I was saying is, please, God, let this be it. Because I knew I'd written this letter. I was like, I don't have any more options. You know, I'm, 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 I'm close to ending it all affirmatively. So when I went in the rooms on July 19th, 2015, I, my, my, my approach to all this was, please, God, let this be the problem. And please, God, let this be the solution. You know, I never thought, hey, God, I wrote you a letter. Hey, higher power, I wrote you a letter. And hmm, someone's directing me to go, you know, <laughs> you just don't think of it in the in the moment. But now today I'm like, oh, it's clearly answered prayers. Clearly to me. I mean, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I'm not here to convince people that God exists or doesn't exist. I'm not here to tell people that higher powers exist or don't exist or you got to believe this or don't believe that. I really am not. All I'm telling you is what happened to me. Same as it ever was, you know, same as it ever was. Just get back to basics here. So I walk into that meeting utterly broken, crying, and a man that I had known for many years who I admired so much and, you know, came up to me and said, how are we doing? And I said, I'm not doing that well. And that man became my, my first sponsor. And, you know, he taught me a lot. And, yeah, I love him still to this day. He's not my sponsor anymore because I don't live here anymore. Um, or live there anymore, but, um, you know, he, the capital in his bank account with me will never run out. And we worked the steps together and he kept me accountable and he forced me to make some uncomfortable truths and things, which mainly was, you know, you're trying to freelance your program. You're trying to live this, you know, you're trying to do it, do it differently. And this is where kind of the, 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 the you know, the topic of this, um, podcast was the beauty to me of many things in life is how deeply complex they are and how, you know, on the one hand, it's like Bruce Lee says about, about water, you know, water can be the softest thing you've ever touched and it will absorb into your skin. But if you hit it at a certain speed or a certain angle, it's like concrete and it'll kill you. And I think in a lot of ways, not with the negative aspect of that, it'll kill you. I think of, of the program is very similar. On the one hand, AA and all of the principles underneath it are ever evolving as we grow as an organism and an institution and the membership and things like this. Like it's, it's always evolving. But at the same time, it, there is an element of stasis, you know, an element. I wouldn't say static because that, that are stagnant. Certainly not that. But it is solid, and there's concrete foundation underneath it. You know, it doesn't need to be changed. It change it, it will change you, and you will change, and it will the you know will never be the same. But yet, at the same time, it's unchanging. Does that make sense? I, I think it does. I, I'm sure. I'm sure you understand what I mean. That you know, it 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 is it is yet the un unstoppable force and the immovable object at the same time. 
it is like water. So, you know, how did I do it? Um, I did some bait. I, I, I made my life very, very simple. I made my world very, very small. And I encourage, I don't encourage because it's advice giving, opinions, that kind of thing. I, I would just say, you know, my experience was, and my strength, and, and of course my hope is that you can too. You know, this is what happened to me. This is how I overcame it. And, and, th and my hope is that you can too. So, so how did I do that? I made my world very, very small. I made things as binary as possible. Zeros and ones. So one of the things that my sponsor and I talked about at the beginning of my program was that I was a rule breaker in some ways. And I was, I was a promise breaker in a lot of ways, you know, like I was the kind of guys like, I'm going to meet you out. No, I didn't, you know, or, you know, are you adhering to your obligations as a spouse, as a parent, you know, things like this. Um, and you know, it was, it was about making promises and keeping them. And I promised the first promise I made was to my sponsor was that I would not lie to him. And that if I was going to take a drink, I would call him first. He, he told me, he goes, I'm not going to ask you not to drink. I'm not going to tell you not to drink. I'm just going to ask you to make me a promise, which is don't lie to me and don't, and, and call me before you drink. And I said, okay. So that was promise number one. Um, I was, I was, like I said, I was, you know, a couple months in, I think probably about 60 days, almost 90 days in, um, you know, the intensity of the attacks on me and my business, uh, from, uh, the, my ex, my ex and her lawyer, um, really ramped up and, uh, you know, they, they, they took on a new level of menace and I it, it, it did it did make me want to resort to killing myself. You know, I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore. And the stresses of work were, were, were so intense that I felt that maybe the only way out was just to end it. And um, my I confided in my in a in a child psychologist who, you know, one smart thing that I did with my wife when her ex-wife when we were getting to split up was probably the smartest thing we did in the entire marriage was we actually went to a child psychologist and asked her to kind of be the advocate for the kids and to help us be good parents through this. And, um, you know, I can say I, I, I worship the, the ground that that woman, the child psychologist walks on. She's amazing. And she gave us good advice. And, um, I wish my, my ex had listened to her maybe once or twice, uh, instead of how she handled it. But you know, that sounds resentful, doesn't it? Maybe I need to make a little mental or living amends right now. I'll just be like, hey, I'm sorry that I'm sounding like that. I'm sorry to my listeners sounding resentful. That's not cool. Um, let me let me stay on the positive track here. So, you know, this this child psychologist who's brilliant, you know, she, she told me the story of having to um, call two girls. Um, a mother called her a client, I guess, called her and said, you need to tell the girls 
that their father committed suicide in the front yard today. Um, they, their ex, you know, my ex-husband kind of thing, you know, there was, he was under domestic pressure, all these things. And he drove to their house and he killed himself in the driveway. And she was like, I can't do it. And this child psychologist told me, like, she said, you know, that was like the worst thing that's ever, ha I've ever had to do. And I did it. And, and I, I love, you know, I'm, cause those kids were my clients or patients or whatever, but, but please don't ever make me do that. And so we talked about it. We said, you know, I said, look, I promise you that, um, you know, I, I will never make you do that. That will never happen, even though I wanted to bad. And, and so then, you know, I, I started under, I, I switched therapists at the time. I had a, a, a guy that I was working with who's great, but, you know, I needed somebody else and I needed a, a new fresh start. And this woman who became my therapist and is probably one of the most important, you know, relationships, I would say, you know, in my life. I mean, she's just, in, she's like my sponsor, you know, and just incredible relationship of, of professional care. Um, she, she, she was not afraid to say, I want you to promise me that you won't kill yourself. I want me, you to promise me you won't drink, you know. And I said, look, I promise you those things. I said, I will not kill myself sober because I know that, I know that, and this, this logic is so twisted and circular. I get it, you know, thanks. But this is how my brain was working at the time. It's like, I know that sober, I can at least, I, I have these promises that I want to keep. The only way I'll kill myself is if I get drunk. And so I was like, so I'm not going to get drunk. And I kind of knew that if I did get drunk, I probably would do it, you know? And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I promised my sponsor I wouldn't do these things. I promised this child psychologist I would not get, I would not kill myself, you know? And I promised you I wouldn't drink and or, or kill myself. You know, we would talk about it. And, and so that was like, it was, it sounds complicated, but it wasn't. It was just, it was just about being like, look, I promise like, I am going to stay sober and I am going to stay alive. Because if one of them fails, then I will have put y'all in these positions that are untenable. I will have hurt other people and I'm not doing that. And I'm keeping these promises. It's just like a basic promise, which is I promise that I'm going to do this. And part of, part of sobriety and recovery is keeping promises. And then as this podcast is called the extravagant promises is then you know we make and we keep promises and then the promises come true to us that's the glory of this thing it's like i said it's it's the it's the unstoppable force and the immovable object at the same time and it's like we give and then we receive and by by giving we receive and by receiving then we give back and we we spread the and our mess becomes our message Okay, so how did I do it on a tactical level of that bi those binary things that we talked about? Well, well, what I decided was that um, I was going to go to meetings. Um, I was going to do every single thing my sponsor said I needed to do. And I wasn't going to drink. And it did not matter I, I decided to turn all my cares and my worries and my fears and my life, you know, I turned it over to the God of my understanding. 
And I said, look, everything, my business, my professional life, everything is in your hands. I'm going to do the next right thing whenever a decision has to be made, but I am not going to fear the future. Instead, I'm going to fear intoxication or picking up a drink. That's all. All I'm going to do is zero and one. Every day that I stay sober is plus one. Every day that every time you pick up a drink is zero and you multiply it times the times the other numeral and you get the product, which is zero, which to me meant death. Zero equals death. So I just made my life really, really small. And I was like, hey, did I did I put on 10 pounds? Sure. Did I did I lose my make money? Do whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. But 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 it was like, did I stay sober that day? Yes. Plus one. You know, go to a meeting, stay sober, plus one, call your sponsor, plus, you know, did you stay sober, plus one, you know, that day, just 24 hours, just day by day by day, I just was like, plus one, plus one, plus one, and, you know, slowly the clouds lifted, then they come back in, you know, there's stresses and all this, but really, you know, it was for me, it wasn't the obsession to drink. I did not feel compelled to drink. I did have one incident where I thought about drinking out of my fear that I had given up hope um, early again, uh, just a few months after this incident um, where I made these promises. And I, but just for the record, I did not drink. And I can tell that story at a later time because it's, it's powerful. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and tell it. Um, but, but I'm going to tell first, I'm going to just say that, that, you know, I didn't have a compulsion to drink, but what I did have was a compulsion to hurt myself. And it, that I believe was born out of an alcoholic fog and alcoholic self-loathing and the effects of alcohol on the brain and on your soul and on your heart and your, and your body. And I had this like overwhelming desire to kill myself and I can say here, five, six years later, it takes some, some days you'll, you'll be like, damn, where'd that come from? You know, it, a lot of pain or whatever it is. But, but I can also say, hey, you know what? Um, it went away. You know, like, like just, just, you know, 90 seconds later, you're good. You survive for the next 90 seconds plus one. Don't drink plus one, you know? So, um, so it was really just zeros and ones. You know, you just go, hey, did I drink today? No plus one. Did I stay sober? Plus one, you know, and work that program and work the steps and, and, you know, really work it, do the hard work, but, but, it, but not be messed up about it. If I, if, if a day went by and I didn't go to a meeting, that's okay. Did I drink? No. Plus one. Now we know what happens to people who don't go to meetings is they don't hear what happens to people who don't go to meetings. So go to meetings. You know, I'm not saying you got to go, you got to go to the meetings, meeting, meeting makers make it. And you got to have a sponsor in my, again, see, listen to me giving advice and all this. Uh, I believe this is if I'm talking to myself, giving myself advice, you know, I will always have a sponsor. I will always try to sponsor and work with other dudes as long as they'll have me as a sponsor. And, um, I will always go to meetings and I will. God willing, I will stay sober. So what happened that winter? So right about my six-month anniversary, 
um, my domestic situation had really come to a head and I had this thing, it was called a mediation. It was going to be informal. It was going to be, you know, some collaborative, all this kind of hoo-ha. And basically my ex was getting every single thing I ever had, um, and, and probably ever would have for many years to come. And, uh, when, you know, I'm not, I'm not the world's richest guy. I'm not the world's smartest guy or anything like that, but I was successful and I'd worked very hard to build a career over 30 years. Well, at that point, I guess it was, you know, 23 years. Um, and, uh, you know, one would think that, um, anyway, you know, I, I had, I'd done all right. And, and here it was, I was seeing it all go up in smoke, you know, because, I just couldn't, I couldn't take the abuse anymore and I just wanted it to end. And, um, and so I was getting ready to go to this meeting and, um, you know, and I, I, again, I'm not trying to be resentful and I I really don't want to, I'm not drinking of that poison cup, you know, and I'm not, I'm not feeling angry about it. I, I just, I do realize some of you may not have heard other podcast episodes where I talked about what happened, how, you know, nightly I would get these text messages and things. And sometimes it was, you know, it was just usually just fuck you, you piece of shit. Fuck you, you piece of shit. You know, you're a fucking liar, cheater, scoundrel, dickhead. Fuck you, you know. And sometimes it'd be, you know, more more explicit <laughs> than that and and more more hurtful, you know, trying to, trying to hurt me as a parent, um, trying to take away my ability to effectively parent my kids, you know, trying to hurt my my business you know even though this person was getting their entire well-being and income from my business you know it was like i'm going to destroy your business i'm going to ruin you you know this kind of thing and um and and it it, it, like i said it it was a precarious dance and i just wanted it to end and and the next day it was most likely going to come to a that part the financial part to an end and um i just was scared i was scared and I had decided that this was a bunch of bullshit, you know, this all, you know, and this is what, if you don't get one of these days or one of these moments, then, you know, hey, good on you. But most of us will have this in sobriety and in recovery. We're going to have a day or more multiple days where, you know, you stare into the abyss and the abyss stares back and, you know, something reaches up and grabs you by the throat and you're just like, fuck it, do I just throw myself in the abyss? And so I decided I was going to drink and I had this whole plan. Like I'm going to, I'm going to leave my office and I'm going to go to this kind of dive bar near my office. I'm going to hand the bartender my keys. I'm going to say, serve me until you legally can't serve me anymore in good conscience. And I'll take an Uber home and, uh, you know, whatever. But before I take the first sip, I'm going to call my sponsor because I promised him. And, I called one of my angels, one of my accountability partners, and um, a woman who's very important to me in my life, amazing woman, and I laid out my plan for her. You know, some might say, you know, that was the first thing was admitting that to another human being. Hey, I'm having this, you know, reaching out for help. That was smart, you know, that like, don't do it alone, you know, and that maybe what you're saying is, hey, I, I, I please talk me out of this, you know, and she said, look, I'm not going to talk you out of it. Um, I didn't say talk me out, but she, she said, look, I'm not going to tell you not to do that, but, but will you do two things for me before you do that? That's where it gets kind of cool. She said, will you take a shower first? And then I go, yeah. Cause we had showers in our office building, super fancy building, you know, whatever they, 
it had like a locker room in it and I could go over there and take a shower and clean up and, and um to like get the warm water or get cleaned up you know it's late in the day you know you probably you know just kind of wash the day's grime off of you before you go you know and then there's one more thing before you go over that bar we go to a meeting let me say that again we go to a meeting I said yeah I'll go to a meeting so I took a shower and I got in my car and then where I live, we have like, you know, these belt lines or whatever. I was on the belt line kind of highway because I looked at my meeting finder and my meeting lists and all. And I saw there was a meeting at eight o'clock or whatever it was, nine o'clock at, at our intergroup offices here. Um, and it's a meeting I'd never been to before. And again, it's, you know, it's not quite or about six months in. So you got to figure, you know. I don't even know if it's six months, maybe five, I don't know. Somewhere around there is, you know, it's, it's, it's I, I wasn't like, you know, oh, I have all these different meetings that I go to, you know, and I know all of them, you know, I, 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 you know, I still would consult the guide and be like, okay, there's one near me. Let me go over to that one tonight. You know, cause I'd go regularly. Um, and, uh, you know, I got in the car and I was driving over to this meeting and and this is the part where some people just they push pause and they just don't come back to me you know and they or, or in meetings they start to roll their eyes or look away because they don't want to hear it and i get kind of self-conscious or i used to but now i don't because i'm like look this is what happened to me this happened to me and you could call me crazy you can call you can say it's just something in my head or there's some neuroscientific chemical explanation for this but this is what happened I'm in the car, and there was a presence in the car with me. And the presence gave me these images of heroic um, astronauts and, um, and fighter pilots and things like that. And, and these images of, of, you know, I'd heard the story of this, you know, Russian cosmonaut who... You know, they were kind of like getting his wife and they're like, you're going to die and, you know, like say your make your peace kind of thing. And his and his, you know, he was kind of like, I'm not done yet. You know, I'm not dead yet. Like, I'm, I'm going to fly this thing. I don't know where this these images came from in my mind, but this is what came to me was with these pilots being like the planes going down. But it's like, I'm not done yet, you know, like you know, excuse my language and it's a little gender, whatever, but it's like, man, the fuck up. And, you know, like, let's do it. You know, like these, there was something inside them. And I don't know where these images were coming from, but this presence in the car with me then spoke to me. And the presence said, why are you going to kick me out of the cockpit? We are flying into this battle, this storm. Why are you going to kick me out now after all this time and work you've done? You know, you can't fly this plane alone, basically. You can't, you can't land this plane alone. You don't know how to fly without me. And without me, you will crash. But why are you kicking me out now? Why now? I know you're afraid, 
but with me we fly in we fly on we fly together you know I still get chills when I think about what was going on in that that damn car at that moment you know what that was that was talking to me in this I don't know you know again did I hear a voice outside of me I, I can't tell you I just know there was a presence and there was a there was a dialogue and the dialogue was don't kick me out now you don't want to do this we can land this plane together And, you know, you're going kind of like you're going into battle and you may die on the field of battle. And it wasn't a battle. It was just you're going to have to endure some suffering and some humiliation and some things that really fucking suck. But the point is, is there is no hope without me. But there is hope with me. So why are you choosing right now to get rid of me? And it was there that, that I can say that that was one of those moments where you had that conscious contact with the God of my understanding, with my higher power, and my higher power reaching out to me to say, alcohol is the impermeable gel or barrier or whatever that it's the stone. You know, I, the way I likened it was it was almost like I was in this deep cave and there was an ice wall and AA and sobriety made the ice crystal clear just clear as glass and on the other side was my higher power and and he could talk to me i think my higher power is a he it might be a she it might be an it i don't know i just said he you know but the moment alcohol touches that glass touches my body that glass turns to stone that's the image I had. You know, these things that were just in my brain all of a sudden. <sighs> you know, I don't know. I can't explain it. I just know it happened to me. So I drove on and I drove into the intergroup office and I go up there. And it's this meeting and I'm, there are only two other people there. So it's three of us. And the two people look like they've been around for a while in the program. But they said, um, tonight is the last meeting ever of this group now i've never been to this meeting before so you, you gonna tell me that's a coincidence that i just happened to roll in on the last night of this meeting and i just happened to have had this like spiritual awakening in the car ride over to it and they said is anybody sitting on a drink you know and i said yes i am here's my plan and all of a sudden they said cool we're gonna stay with you until you don't feel that way we're gonna stay with you till you don't feel that way I mean, I don't even know if it was real, to be honest with you. I don't even know if, I mean, was it a dream? You know, what did it even happen? That's how mystical it was. That's how beautiful it was. It was like, God, you know, and I came back and I told my angel, you know, like I called and said, this is what just happened to me. And she's a woman of deep faith. And said, she said, you, you've had, you know, you, you had a, a, you know, you had a spiritual awakening. You had conscious contact with the God of your understanding. 
I saw, I saw, I felt, I felt more than saw the presence of my higher power. And, you know, I've never really had anything close to that in terms of, uh, I've had some other things happen that are just like, wow, that's cool. That's not coincidental and some conscious contact, but I've never, I've never had anything where I was just like that close to just like, fuck it, man. I'm I had a case of the fuckets, you know, and you know, I, I, I didn't want to drink. I didn't feel like, Oh, it'll be fun. It was more just like, this is, I'm going to go commit suicide is what I was thinking. Probably. You know, I don't know that I had really articulated that, but given what I've already told you tonight, I mean, that was pretty close, you know, like that's the deal is we know how that, we know how that song was going to end. We know how that record was going to play out. We know how that film, that movie, what the grand climax was going to be was, you know, some sort of termination of self at the end of that evening. And instead it was a, it was just a, a you know, a, a, a like, come on, you know, come on. I got you. You know, it wasn't like, hey, don't worry about it. It's all going to be fine. You're going to suffer, but maybe not. Or I'm going to get it through. You know, it wasn't like that. It was like, it was just like, yeah, you're, you know, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. But I'm going to be right there with you. And without me, you, you can't do it. I don't, you know, there, that one is God. May you find him now. I mean, I found him now, that, you know, that night. <laughs> I just get so fired up when I think about that, that it happened to me. And, you know, and I know, like I said, there, I've been in meetings where I start, people ask me, you know, Hey, I'm telling, telling it or whatever. And, you know, somebody will say, thank you. Thank you, Gregory. Okay. So, you know, somebody else want to, you know, and it's like, maybe because I've gone on too long. I, I don't think that was it. I think that there are some people who really, they, they read these words and they feel them. Maybe their own program's different, but they don't want to believe, you know, they, they haven't come to believe. That's cool. That's all right. Just made me think like, hey, you know, um, it can be tough to admit that, that, that to, to, to actually, you know, if, we, if, if we're actually honest and we admit either, either we believe these, these, these truths to be self-evident, you know, or to, I don't know if they're self-evident, but, you know, if we, if we read these, these steps and we actually go, yeah, I totally believe them. Absolutely. I love every single one of you. I'm sorry I haven't put out more content. I'm going to be making a real strong effort to put a lot more content out, especially over the next 60 days. Um, you know, let's just finish with this. I mean, how much better can it get? If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. 
we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, my higher power, please bring that warm calm of serenity, sobriety, and peace to all those who are sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. Anyone who's restless, irritable, and discontented today, please, if you can make these promises come true in their lives as you've made them come true in my life, if it is your will, we will be eternally grateful. And we are eternally grateful for this program and for your love and your will. Amen.